0: Welcome to Ready to Real Estate, a Treb podcast. This is part one of the Realtor Quest podcast sessions. These sessions were recorded live at the conference and feature guests Joe Barrage on city building and urban planning, Mark Salzman on technology in real estate, and Carl Carter Jr. on realtor safety. And now it's over to our host, Jason Mercer. Hi, everyone. Jason Mercer, Treb's Chief Market Analyst. Hope you're all doing well today, and we've got a great show lined up for planning and urban design enthusiasts. As I'm joined by Joe Barrage, a world renowned expert in the field of urban planning and city building. Joe has built his career as being one of the premier experts in urban planning and design throughout the world. And as a partner at Urban Strategies, Joe has been a strategic advisor for the development of city centres in big name locations such as Manchester, Belfast, and Cardiff, Ugay. He's also assisted in the development of waterfront projects in Singapore, Sydney, Australia, London and right here in Toronto. He's prepared campus master plans for a world-renowned University of Manchester and the University of Waterloo, Queen's University and Western University and is now planning the new hub for Pearson International Airport. And if that wasn't enough, Joe is currently teaching at the University of Toronto and is a senior fellow at the Monk School of Global Affairs and has somehow also found time to write a new book called *The Perfect City*, <laughs> which just hit the bookshelves about a month ago, and which we'll talk about later in this podcast. So let's get started. Let's welcome Joe Barridge. Thank you, sir.
1: Jason, the pleasure.
0: Appreciate it. And we've heard a lot, Joe, about uh, how Toronto has become an accidental world-class city. What does that mean, and, and, and why has it become such a high-profile urban center?
1: It, it's a wonderful story. Uh, it, I, I work in cities all over the world, and every city I work in is. is really eager to become a globally significant, world-class, best-in-class. Toronto has uh, never had that ambition, but it kind of got there accidentally. Um, And and there's no question now that it is one of the top dozen cities in the world. There are all these rankings that come out about how well the city is doing. And and, uh, we are basically in the top three or four as the best place in the world to live. Uh, We are in the top half dozen in terms of the best financial business center uh, and we're in the, in the top dozen in terms of uh, the communications, uh, technology, culture, etc. So it's it's quite an achievement from a city which really, I arrived here 50 years ago, um, it was a pretty provincial town. Uh, the, the key ingredient I think essentially is there's been a lot of geopolitical things that have happened uh, but most significantly frankly the The decline of Montreal uh, after the Parti Québécois election, Um, that kind of gave the shot in the arm to the city. But since then, we've accepted about 100, 125,000 immigrants a year, twice as many as London or New York or, or any other major world city. And that's our secret source. We've made that work, uh, and it's really a, 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 an extraordinary way to become a world-class city, essentially get world-class people.
0: Right. I, I agree with you too, and, and when I talk to your members and, and publicly about the housing market in particular, um, you know, I think that that's been a constant theme over the last couple of decades. Like, when I moved to Toronto to, to go to planning school, coincidentally, at U of T, um, I remember <laughs> coming off the Gardener and, and onto Spadine Avenue, and we were just starting to see the billboards yeah. go up for city, place, and what have you, and we really hadn't... Got into the the condo building boom that yep. we've seen now over the last say decade and a half or so, and and a lot of that has been based on you know the population growth that we've seen in that sort of virtuous circle, if you will, where people are attracted here not only by our, our ethnic and cultural diversity, but also the uh, the economic diversity that we've seen build up.
1: That's right, and and there's also, frankly, um, it, it's it's the the whole question of immigration is a big uh, issue. Sure. Uh, to the south of us in the States, in England, in Europe, as you can see from recent elections. Um, here, it seems to work remarkably well. And I think the key chemistry is that those new immigrants have a real chance at success. Uh, They're can. a really good school system, so their kids can get into school. Uh, there is pretty good employment opportunities, even when you just arrive. Uh, and by second generation, uh, those families are actually doing interestingly, statistically better right. than the o- original Canadians. Um, so, that constant refresh, that constant energy, which of course is the juice of the housing market, sure. which we're here to discuss today.
0: Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, you see newcomers, you know, and you look at, you know, uh, StatsCan study after StatsCan study shows that, you know, initially a lot of newcomers to the, the GTA will choose to rent, but a, a great majority of them have ambitions to, to purchase a home, and I think that that's been a, a, yeah. a key driver in that regard.
1: It's interesting. I think home ownership plays another function as well in that it's a the easiest way for new immigrant families to create capital. Yes. Um, and once you've got that capital, you can start a business, yep. and you can lend some money to your cousin's kids sure. who are coming here too. That's right. uh, and that's you know that's how it works among big families. And um, so it's not just interestingly the house as a place to live but it's the house as a a stock of capital that can be invested in reinvestment. And and obviously the housing market here's done pretty well, so anybody who put their money into housing it was a success. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Sure. I work in towns which don't have any immigration, yeah. um, and the housing market stinks.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah or it's at least stagnant. I think it's a good point too. If you think about uh, you know housing as an asset, it's tangible. You can touch yeah, it every yeah, day yeah. come home to it, versus you know other assets which are a little bit abstract. Well,
1: it's for also a problem that, you know. I mean, I, it, when I started my business, I go to the bank uh, and try and borrow some money, yeah. and they say, "Who are you?" You know, uh, where's your house? Okay, (laughs) if we can attach the house to the loan, Will lend right. you some money. That's right. So uh, it, there's no way that that your, your your Syrian family who's been here for five years sure. uh, is going to be able to go and get a, a loan from the bank if they've got property, they can. Yeah, hundred percent. Now we kind of went from being an
0: accidental city to a city now that has to plan for the, for the type of growth we're seeing. Well, and 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 you know
1: how, how do you foresee this sort of unfolding over the uh, over the next decade or so? Well, this is the big challenge. Um, in a sense, when we were in the juniors we could get away with kind of stumbling along. Uh, Now we're in the majors. Uh, I mean, just to give you a sense of the scale here, we are growing at such a rate that the the, the metropolitan area, the urban region area, is now bigger than that of Chicago. In 2040s, we're going to pass Los Angeles in size. We're going to be the second biggest urban area in North America. I mean, this is incredible. But you can't do this without a really, really good transit system. You can't do this without a really, really good uh, uh, affordable housing program, for because housing is going to get more expensive, yeah. there's no question about it. Uh, you can't do this without making sure there's enough green space for everybody, that the schools work well, that the libraries are funded, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Uh, these are these are going to be the challenges for the next generation. Yeah, I agree. And, and I mean,
0: one of the things that the Trebs have been looking at each year, we release uh, you know a housing outlook and uh, uh, at a larger event at the beginning yep. of the year, and, and we've been sort of augmenting that internal research and and reporting with uh, with uh, uh, external studies. And one of the things we've certainly been focusing in on is you know the GTA or even broad, more broadly, to the GGH and yep. you know how we're going to move people and goods around and how that affects housing affordability and what have. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think. I think that the, the, the transit problem is, 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 the, is the big challenge facing right. us and you know it's fascinating to me um, working in cities with mature transit systems like New York and London and Paris, yep. um, their regional rail system is so good that towns like Hamilton are actually really part of the housing sure. market, Hamilton, Oshawa, Ajax, uh, Whitby, uh, Barrie, um, those become in a sense uh, very desirable places to live, slight yep. safety valves, sure. but the trick is you've got to be able to get there with really good transit in under an hour, yeah. uh, and at that point they they, they become sure. part of the of the system. So um, yes, we should be more building a lot more housing in Toronto proper, yeah. but transit is actually housing policy, right? And, and, and I agree. And and, and safety valve's a good uh, uh, a good anecdote because yeah.
0: if if you think about you know as we've seen. The, the share of people's income required to, yeah. to cover their mortgage principal and interest, say in the, in the GTA, there's a direct correlation if you plot them both on a chart between that and the people that have chosen to say move out of the GTA proper and into some of those surrounding areas like you yeah. mentioned, Hamilton, Kitchener, Barrie, yep. uh, and what have you. But obviously, ultimately, you know, it leads to more traffic and we, and we do need those sort of fixed length transit alternatives. Yeah.
1: And I think we've also got to worry about people's quality of life. Yes. I mean, we have people in our office who are commuting in from Hamilton. Yeah, It's tough to have a young family sure. and do that commute. It really is, it's a lot of strain. Um, and uh, if you could do that, you know, frankly it's not a long way in distance terms, it's yeah. uh, 60 clicks sure. or whatever it is. I mean, you ought to be able to do that in Just half an, an hour. hour. <laughs> <laughs> and and in other world cities, that's what you can do it in. Yes, and right. at that point, it really does become a very attractive choice. And does wonderful things for those communities. Right. And, and and I guess one I guess bone of contention but also, you know, real
0: opportunity I think in in uh, in the Toronto area and City of Toronto proper, it's been the waterfront. Yeah. And I know you've worked on, you know, waterfront projects all yeah. around the world. Um, you know, what have been some of the challenges in in Toronto vis-a-vis what you've seen in other parts of the world?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I've also worked a lot of, on the, on the Toronto waterfront, sure. so uh, if I criticize it, I'm criticizing myself. <laughs> We've taken far too long. Yeah. We created a very cumbersome government structure for it with three levels of government trying to get on. You know, and every time one of those governments changes, they can't get on. Um, and uh, when you look at the speed and decisiveness with which uh, Barcelona, Hamburg, uh, Lisbon, New York, uh, Boston uh, have, have have operated. Um, you know, we, we've been going at waterfront development now for almost 20 years. Candidly, we haven't actually done a hell of a lot. And, and what are we doing down there? We, we seem to be extending just more condo development right. at, with, with a few nice parks and waterfront walks. Um, I'm a big fan of the uh, Sidewalk Labs proposal because I think that what that's saying is, no, on the waterfront you do something really different. You'll right. you, you, you be bold, you'll be experimental. You, you're, you're showing yourself to the world. And what do you want to show? Just more condo towers? No. Nope. Show them something they can't see anywhere else. Sure. And, and do, you think, do you think we're headed in the right direction to see that sort of unfold? I mean, there's been a lot of controversy around. It, it's a, it's that going to be, and there, and there should be. You know, yeah. there, there are legitimate issues about, uh, about the project. But on balance, yeah. I see this happen in a few cities. It's rare that they actually get to choose, in a sense, between the past and the future. Right. And here's a chance to choose the future. Now, you don't do it foolishly, and you've got to make sure that the public interest is protected. But there's a, you know, you could really, I think, uh, show something here that nobody else has seen. I travel a lot, and it's interesting, Toronto is not top of mind for the rest of the world when you travel, as you all probably know. Um, but what they, they all ask me, what's going on with that sidewalk lamps? That's really interesting. Right. And it's captured the world's imagination, and if we kind of uh, stumble and Say, oh well, I don't think so. Right. Uh, it's going to be a big black mark against us.
0: Yeah, and I guess if you, if you think about Toronto as an emerging tech hub, and then if you can't make something happen with this with this proposal,
1: I mean that's where you. T- can Toronto be able to is an enormously successful tech hub. Right. It's doing wonderfully without Google, without Amazon. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's an ecology in the way in which big and small work here, right. and I think we would do even more wonderfully with uh, Google, maybe even with a bit of Amazon too. Sure. Um switching gears a little bit because you've been working also
0: uh, on the Pearson Airport area and sort of thinking about that as a as an economic driver of the region and and the new Pearson hub maybe you can talk about that a little bit yeah well the
1: where we're sitting right now in the in the Toronto Congress Centre is just a mile or two from uh, the airport this area is actually the biggest employment zone in Canada after downtown Toronto Uh, there more people work in this area than work in um, Vancouver and Montreal's downtown combined. So uh, the, the the problem we've got is that that sets up a lot of travel demands. The airport is growing faster than any airport in the world. Can you believe that? Little old Toronto. Right. Uh, we're shooting ahead. It's it's the fifth best connected airport in the world. Um, this is a sign of that that accidental metropolis right. becoming a really powerful place. Um, but you just can't get here anymore. And you can't, the, the problem is not on getting the planes to take off, yep. the problem is getting the people to the airport. Right, right, so right. we have got to fix that very boldly. And the idea that the GTAA, Greater Toronto Airports Authority, are putting forward is to build a new transit hub right in uh, the, uh, the airport complex. Right. So that will be connected by. Hopefully, uh, obviously, right now the the uh, Airport Express, but also the uh, Eglinton line. One yeah. looks forward, the Mississauga Busway, potentially the Finch Line in the future, uh, and we've got the GO line that runs tantalizingly close to the airport. You know, a, a kilometer <laughs> away. You know, is there some clever way we can bring that in Sure, too? Uh, and 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 are certainly moving
0: into a, an era where we have to plan for this growth um, over time. And we've been talking about uh, you know the idea of an airport hub. And, uh, and, and 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 seeing more transit development in order to move people and goods in yeah. and out of this area, which he said is you know the the, the second largest employment area in Canada right. and certainly in Toronto after after the the, the, the downtown core. Now, I mean, that involves a lot of different levels of government yeah. and, and, and players. And and uh, are are most people on side, or have there been some friction points as we were? Moving no, I think system? I think
1: generally people recognize this has got to happen. It's interesting, the airport is now. An absolutely critical piece of economic infrastructure for a city. You know, our little business—we're 70 people. We work all over the world. Yep. We can only be located in Toronto. Right. Uh, and interestingly, there aren't actually very many American cities we could be located in. Um, so, uh, if you—if that uh, airport's function is constrained by the fact that you just can't get there, right. that's a problem. Um, so, yes, the, the GTAa I think are, are very well regarded by uh, governments. They are a federal organization, uh, very close c- connections with uh, uh, the, the province. They, they sit rather awkwardly, almost in three cities. Uh, so uh, getting those folks together is a very important challenge as well. But this isn't. This is really a project for Canada. Right. Um, you know, Toronto's accidental metropolis is actually the place that pays the bills for the rest of the country. You'd better make sure this place is working well. Yeah, it's true. I, I agree. I
0: mean, one of the things that that I studied when I was at U of T in, in planning school was more sort of you know regional economic impact, especially yeah. of like large capital projects and what have you. And and, and certainly you know when you're seeing even developments uh, in, in in the western part of Canada where I'm from originally, you know a lot of those economic benefits actually accrue back to the GTA just because of the you know the financial construct and yeah. manufacturing yeah. construct yeah. That, that that exists here. And so certainly that hub is an important part of that. It,
1: no, it it absolutely is. And as um, you know we've talked about the tech industry the tech industry is the most international business there is uh, and, and, and involves I would suspect more international air travel than any other kind of business uh, and it, so it's really important if, if we say the future is going to be, uh, in the knowledge industries, then you have got to be able to move that knowledge around from city to city, from country to country. Sure. And, and you know, I, I got to tell you, I could talk all day with you about this <laughs> stuff. But I know, I mean,
0: you're here at, at RealtorQuest today to to do a presentation, and, and a lot of that presentation, I think, is centered around the uh, the new book yep. uh, that you've just uh, that you've just published. And I know people can. Uh, can uh, uh, purchase a book here today, and, and, and I encourage them all to do so because I mean it's a, it's a very interesting topic. But before we wrap it up, maybe uh, maybe tell us a little bit about specifically uh, your book, the, the Perfect City. Well,
1: I uh, you asked me how I had the time to write it. I spent a lot of time on airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and I, I've worked. I've been incredibly fortunate. I've worked in cities all over the world, and when I go to them, they're all kind of the same in an interesting, they're like machines. They got downtowns, they got airports, they got transit systems, they got waterfronts, uh, they've got poor areas, they have got rich areas. Uh, and you have to figure out, how does this machine work? Right. And it's slightly different in every city. So I wanted to kind of capture that. And then ask the question, okay, so if this is a machine, it's also a machine, by the way, which people call home, right. so you better make it a really nice home that's <laughs> right. machine. Um, if that's the case, who does what better? So, it, it, nobody's going to say that Toronto does uh, transit better. Um, best place that does transit, I, I mean, I went to Shanghai, uh, working there, I mean, it's absurd. They had no subways at all in, um, in, in, in uh, 1995. They've now got the biggest system in the world. Uh, and, you know, so they know how to do that. Sure. But, but also, in terms of real comparables, London, England has a very sensible transportation management and development system. Who does affordable housing best? Interestingly, right now, probably New York City, right. uh, in terms of big cities. Very imaginative opening up of new land, very imaginative financing, big emphasis on rental housing right. uh, to, to, to meet the affordable housing gap. Um, who, uh, who does culture best in the world? And it's fascinating to watch cities like, uh, like Singapore compete with Hong Kong to be the cultural capital of, 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 yeah. the, of the East of Asia. Yeah. Um, And then you come back to our fine town. Who does immigration settlement most successfully? Without a doubt, us. We, we, as I said, settle twice the number of immigrants of any other city in the world every year. Uh, And how do we do it? There's some magic chemistry of uh, being, I think, really quite friendly and open people. Uh, And in a sense, almost culturally, that's kind of the way we are. but we have really good public schools. Uh, we have really good public libraries. We have really good parks. We have r- safe streets. And that means that, th- what what do immigrants' families want to do? They want to thrive. They want to c- grow their family. Uh, they want to earn a good living. They want to make sure their kids are educated. They want to make sure they've got good health care. But well, interestingly, that package is not available in a hell of a lot of cities. Sure. It's, it's really, in, in terms of the cities I looked at, only Sydney, which is kind of our Australian cousin, yep. Offers the same kind of package and has the same kind of culture, but frankly, being an immigrant in London or New York, it's tough. Being an immigrant in Singapore or Shanghai, not even sure you can be. At least, you know, right. it, it, so uh, it's just been. So what I said is, okay, if you could put all the best of everywhere, you'd have the perfect city. Doesn't exist, of course. Of course, yeah. uh, but each city is perfect in, in their own way. way.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that that was a nice way to, you know, bring it back to the Toronto area. And people often ask me, you know, why do we see... So many condos, or why is the housing yeah. market so so tight, even with the little bit of a slowdown we've seen over the last year or so? And, and part of the reason is is that you know people want to move to Toronto for yeah. a number of different reasons. Yeah. But I think it gets back to that ethnic, cultural, economic diversity that we've seen build up, initially accidental, yeah. uh, as you say, but certainly we're planning for it now. And I think that's the, you know speaking to a lot of the you know positive challenges I would say as we move forward is, yeah. is how do we continue to uh, to grow.
1: And I, and I think if you look at the state of the world right now, you have uh, Europe and the United States being generally unfriendly towards immigration uh, and towards various ethnic uh, uh, groups as well. Um, and you have two uh, leaders uh, in in well, the, the former leader in England and probably the future one, and the one in the United States, both campaigning on a kind of almost white nationalist program. Um, you know, we, we, for whatever reason, it doesn't bother us here. So what it does mean is that we're going to get more and more people coming here. The best advertisement for our universities are Trump and Theresa May and Brexit. Uh, that's why people want to come and study here. And and students, international students, are about the best, the kind of people you can get because they all come from all over the world. And maybe a quarter or a third of them stay because sure. they they get to like the place and they and they know how it works. And that's it. so smart people who like this kind of world, they'll come and stay here. That's great. Well, it's been a pleasure. I mean, it's certainly a a
0: positive outlook, but also a challenge as we move forward. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate you talking about it.
1: Thank you very much. Jason, my pleasure. Thank you. appreciate it.
0: Trev's chief market analyst, and I'm here at RealtorQuest, Canada's largest real estate conference and trade show. And I hope you're all doing well today. And we've got a wonderful show lined up, especially for all the techies listening, because I'm joined by Tech Guru Mark Saltzman. Mark Saltzman is the uh, author, speaker, journalist, and host of the new CNBC show, Tech Impact. Um, and he's a man of many different job titles, maybe he's best known to some. Uh, of those listening as the guy who was talking about cool gadgets uh, before the the movies especially I guess that's where a lot of people yeah. got to know your face but now certainly on your uh, on your new TV show me we should start with that tell yeah. us a little bit about your new yeah. show.
2: yeah first of all thanks for having me Jason uh, and it's great to be here at Realtor Quest for the fourth or maybe fifth year in a row uh, as a, a speaker so that's thrilling So yeah, a lot of people know me or recognize me as the guy at the movies. I'm sorry, I know you paid good money to see the the film that you've been excited to see and you have to sit through uh, guys like me. It's a lot of fun. It's a one minute tech segment called uh, Gear Guide and it's uh, part of the end of the pre-show. Um, I don't do it every month anymore. I used to do it every month, but uh, it's, it's still great when we get to do it, and we're in talks to have some, some great ones for the end of 2019. For, as far as the new TV show is concerned, thank you for the plug, it will be on CNBC on Saturday mornings at 11. It's called Tech Impact, great. and it's a 30-minute show about the impact of technology on society. Um, so a little bit more high level than I'm used to. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like the gadget guy or the video game guy, sure. which is great. And I love playing around with consumer electronics and all that. But this does sort of force me to elevate my game and talk a little bit more you know, highbrow about you know, where are we going as a society, for better or for worse. Uh, even though I call myself a technology evangelist uh, because I like to preach about the benefits of technology, it would be remiss not to acknowledge some of the downsides. Uh, of our increasing reliance on tech. So we're going to explore all of that from autonomous vehicles and robotics in the workplace to artificial intelligence and healthcare. It's going to be its going to be a great show. I'm super excited. We already have one episode uh, in the can and we're shooting our next one on June 12th.
0: That sounds awesome. And, and, and I think there's a nice bridge, you know, if we're talking about the housing market here at RealtorQuest, I think there's a nice bridge between, you know, you mentioned being a gadget guy. But also the broader impact on society because you know if you think about how a city grows people are moving here and, and they need a place to live whether you know they're buying a home or or, or renting a home and certainly you know uh you're going to have the the technological impact on the on the broad scale you're talking about autonomous vehicles and yeah power smart grid cities. and what smart cities yeah. and and what have you but right down to
2: the macro you know, level thinking well, about your micro house level and,
0: yeah like thermostats and, and and what have you and yeah. i think
2: it's a great time right now because these are relatively affordable devices that can make a difference on your bottom line cost savings I would say is one of the motivations for uh, having a smart home device you mentioned the Wi-Fi thermostat yeah Yeah, that's a a great example because especially in Ontario here you know we pay through the nose for hydro Uh, so anything that can help curb our our, uh, electricity costs you know on uh, air conditioning in the uh, in the summer and and the furnaces in the in the winter is welcomed among other you know, uh, power sucking appliances and so on. So
0: Yeah, we often hear like the idea of the smart home kind of thrown around. And, what, and what do you, what do you, where do you think a home goes from being just sort of a traditional home to a smart home? Yeah. Where, do you, where do you think that sort of boundary is crossed?
2: I guess the definition is loosely automation and control. So some things can be done without your involvement just for the convenience of it being done, such as, sticking with your uh, example of a Wi-Fi thermostat, the, the, the latest generation of these devices can recognize when people are home and when they're not they get to know your schedule so if you leave the home every day at 7:30 and you come back at 5:30, um, there's no reason why you need the air conditioning cranked for example all day unless you have pets or whatever I mean there's exceptions sure. but it, they're getting smarter and smarter sometimes with the help of AI and machine learning um, or, or just with sensors that detect motion or sound uh, but the idea is that it's going to save you money so what is the convenience factor without you having to manually set it But on the control side, again, sticking with Wi-Fi thermostats, I know people love the idea of opening up their phone and uh, adjusting the temperature, whether they're home or not, um, or using their voice with a smart speaker to complement that and say, you know, uh, the key, the wake word, be it Google or Alexa or Siri and saying, you know, turn the temperature down by two degrees, uh, the convenience of it. So part of it is the ease of control, whether you're home or not. And another motivating factor is the, yeah, is, is the automation. And I think that is really what a smart or connected uh, home is. These terms are used interchangeably. And that and, and again, it's sort of like piecemeal. You don't need the same company. Right. You don't have to buy products from the same company. You can buy a ring video doorbell and an Ecobee Wi-Fi thermostat and a Philips Hue smart light and a Chamberlain garage door opener and a uh, you know, um, August smart lock. You get the idea. Yeah. And, and they all work together right. magically.
0: And do you think uh, do you think the voice control? I mean, whether it's you're talking about the Google or the Amazon or you know whatever the product may be, do you, do you think that that's been one of the big bridges? And do you think that's going to be you know where more of the momentum is on uh, on home automation
2: is just using your voice? One of the biggest barriers of entry to technology, one was price, and yeah. we're not seeing that with these devices because sure. they're relatively affordable. But the other one is complexity. So if you're able to have a, an interface that is as natural as speaking to a person, then that does alleviate many of the concerns that uh, certainly tech-shy folks have. So, just like we saw, uh, you know, Captain Kirk in 1965 on Star Trek talking to the computer by saying, you know, okay, computer, da-da-da-da, we are now able to do that, fast forward, you know, 50 years, we can do that now, and it learns your voice, You you can even be a mumbler, It's gonna learn, so we're talking about the most natural interface we have, which is speech. It's kind of like the evolution of the interface. We started with keyboards, then mice and keyboards, then touch, and now voice. Um, So I think that is a a, a big driver for these smart home devices because it's also sort of the unifying thing between all the devices. Again, all the different companies that are out there making all different kinds of smart home devices. Google and Amazon and uh, to a lesser extent Apple and Samsung, they they all work together through that voice interaction.
0: And I have two kids, and they use the voice devices more so than me. But it, yeah. you know, I, even you know now compared to two years ago, like I can't think of not having a lot yeah. of this stuff, whether it be the lights or the uh, you know the the thermostat or what have yeah. you. And so you know, there's a ton of advantages, and it makes a lot of sense, and it, it does make things a, a lot easier. But there's always a flip side, and a lot of times you know people will say, you know, you got to be careful using some of this stuff. It's recording
2: yeah. your voice, or people know what you're doing. And, and it is. Well,
0: you know, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk of, about that. Yeah.
2: yeah. So first of all, you're right about it it being, uh, like, I can't think of when I didn't have a smart speaker, because I leverage it quite a bit, and and so do the other four members of our family, but a quick funny story before we talk about some of the downsides to it, is uh, a colleague of mine, also a tech reviewer, uh, brought her young son to a hotel room in uh, Buffalo, New York, just, you know, an hour and a half away from Toronto for the weekend, and when they walked into the room, he walked into the hotel room, and he said, Alexa, play Post Malone, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, nothing happened, and he looked at his mom curiously, like, hey, what's wrong with this house or room or whatever, Uh, because this generation, uh, being I think maybe eight years old at the time, thought that every house just has this uh, or every hotel room where you can just say play this and you have that kind of, uh, you know, uh, information on demand or media on demand. Okay. So it's no secret that these uh, smart speakers are listening for the wake word. So therefore they're always listening, Uh, but they're not technically recording until you say the wake word. Uh, whether it's Alexa or, or OK Google or what have you. Uh, and then, yes, it is uh, uploading your request to their servers, so it's not stored on the device. It goes up to Google's uh, servers or, or Amazon's to process what you've asked and then sends down the instructions, the appropriate answer to your question. Right. So you say, what's the weather like in Toronto? It's Nothing's happening really on that device itself. It's just a conduit to Amazon's servers. Um, it does keep recordings, which you can delete, but it does... Uh, in their defense, they're keeping it to refine the experience. I said earlier, you can even be a mumbler. My youngest son Ethan, who's fifteen, my wife and I can't understand him, but somehow <laughs> his Google Speaker in his room does because. And then once I deleted all of the recordings, just as a, for an article I was writing, yep. and then it didn't understand him at the beginning again. That's so it does work. It does. It does get smarter as you use it. But uh, it is listening all the time. There, there is, however, on all smart speakers and smart displays, a button that you can activate that disables the microphone, it kind of defeats the purpose right. of having a hands-free thing, like you know, sure. you're know, you making dinner for the kids, you want to ask uh, to turn on the oven if it is connected to your smart oven to 450 degrees kind of thing, it, with, by, by you now having to wash your hands and go press the button to, just to speak, it's kind of sure. silly. Uh, the other issue is, is data privacy. Um, again, it's no secret, and these companies don't uh, make it a secret, that it is trying to dish up relevant information to you. Right. So if you are logged into your Google speaker, into the same account that you're logging to your Chrome browser on your laptop, and you did a, and you asked your Chrome speaker, "Hey, what's the weather like in Miami?" Yeah. When you sit down and you go to Chrome, you may see ads for Miami, sure. and that may that may creep out people, and right. I get that. Uh, it makes you feel like Big Brother, or you know that that Google's listening, and technically they are. They right. don't know your name or whatever. It's all sort of. Uh, you know uh, anonymous but they are trying to deliver relevant things to you sure so it's look no one's putting a gun to people's heads by saying you have to have a smart speaker in your house uh, or in every room uh, for that matter but with it comes I think you trading a bit of privacy for convenience and if that's not in your comfort level then don't do it but I, I'm, I'm okay with it because you know, I'm not talking about corporate secrets or anything. You know what I mean? Right, right.
0: <laughs> and I guess that that's something that sometimes gets lost is a lot of these companies that are involved, certainly in the in the smart technology space, are also involved in the advertising space or the you know the retail. Yeah, Google sales being an space. example, sure. or
2: Amazon, right? Yeah. It's a store that wants to. And and when you go to Amazon and you buy a bathrobe, it's gonna remember that, and That's it's right. gonna to try to think, oh, maybe you need a bath mat, maybe you need, you know. Uh, so look, it's um, it's trying to apply some artificial intelligence. Sometimes it's way off, it's still early days, right. but it is getting better, but it's not for everyone. I love the convenience of a, a smart speaker. Primarily in our home, we use it for music, Uh, as well as uh, we ask to play podcasts or stories and things like that. And my kids use it for homework. You know, they're at the kitchen table doing math and then they'll just say, you know, hey Google, what's the square root of that? And it just, in a human-like voice, you're going to get a response. It's pretty wild. I remember when I was in university and, you know, it was kind of the dawn of the internet back in the 90s and you're told you couldn't use the internet yeah. for,
0: uh, you know, research or, or learning, right. what have you, because you couldn't rely upon it. Well, now... But we
2: learned to adapt as a society. Right. And that's, that's right. And, and certainly the younger generation, uh, the millennials, Gen Zs, whatever you call them, Gen Z, they, uh, they're they very comfortable with sure. it. I think it's the older folks like me who, uh, a lot of my peers, they're like, I don't want a smart speaker in my own. No way. Yeah. But once you get a taste of it, it's hard to go back. So...
0: Yeah, and and we've talked a lot about you know the, the the benefits of how it you know helps society at large and how it helps you know the average uh, you know household in the in the greater Toronto area. But you know we're here at Realtor Quest today, and certainly you know a lot of our members are are looking to help people buy a home or, or help people sell a home or, or or both. And sort of how can they uh, I guess integrate you know the notion of smart technology or certainly at least knowledge of smart technologies into their day to day, whether they're working with buyers or sellers. How do you see that? Yeah. So, places.
2: so I think real estate agents and brokers can can leverage th- these uh, smart technologies, both uh, for their own work and, uh, and 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 as well as trying to to sell a home, for example, to a client, for their own sake, for example. A lot of people know uh, or don't know, rather, that you can ask your smart speaker, how long is it gonna take for me to get to the office? And it's gonna give you a different answer every time because it's looking at traffic in real time. So you should be taking advantage of these tools. This is really what we're talking about. Technology is a tool, a tool in your arsenal. So to make a a real estate agent or broker's life more manageable, spending less time on the road, use these technologies that are gonna help you out use Waze and Google in the car as well, and that kind of thing, because time is money. Sure. Uh, when you're trying to talk to a client and you've identified that tech is a big priority for them, and there's been numerous surveys that have found that aside from location, which is still the number one amenity as sure. uh, a good location, um, next to that is is tech. Uh, it's, it's usually in the top three. People who are buying a new home, especially the younger generation, they want the amenities of having you know good, fast Wi-Fi, even above many other uh, amenities that Are are more traditional, uh, as well as smart home tech. So if you're selling a home to someone and you're walking throughout the home, you may nonchalantly point out that they've got you know, uh, a smart oven here that's included right. in the home, and that will text you when the chicken is ready kind of thing, or you might walk by a, a Nest thermostat and say, hey, this is hey, this is good here, because this is gonna save you up to 23% on your annual heating and cooling bills. So if a, if a broker or an agent knows um, the benefits of them, and they know that it's um, of interest to the potential buyer, they can leverage that. On the flip side, if they're walking through an older home, Uh, or just a home that doesn't have a lot of tech, you can drop, you can remind them that this is all DIY off the shelf devices that are very easy to install. Right. You don't need to retrofit a home or anything like that. It's all wireless too. You don't have yeah. to fish cables through the wall. There might be a mis- uh, misconception that that's needed. So you would just remind them, Hey, there's so much opportunity here. Use the standard lines that like I know friends of mine all use, you know, good bones and all that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but say, Hey, look, but this is a, this is a perfect property to have an, you know, it may not have a, a multi-camera alarm uh, video, uh, system and alarm sure. system but that's super inexpensive and hey you know what I'll I'll buy it I'll yeah. buy it for
0: you I, 100% like when you, when, you, when you think about that going into an old house to which there are many in in the in the Toronto area built in you know in the in the first half of the 20th century and and, uh, you know, I just went through a renovation myself. And, and, you know, what was great is that you didn't have to think as much about, well, where, do I want speakers here? Do I want an alarm system here? Because right. most of it is all wireless and you attach it to the it's wall. It's never and, been uh, easier. Yeah. And hit the ground running. So it's, uh, so it's great.
2: If the Wi-Fi signal, for example, is bad uh, in a home because it's got concrete walls, it's a 100-year-old uh, GTA home or whatever, you could say, "Hey, well, just put in a mesh system for yeah. 150 bucks. It's uh, the next generation Wi-Fi with all these little pods that you put around the yeah. home. They all wirelessly make that handshake back to the router, and you're helping your range and no more dead zones. That's right. you, know, you could you could drop those kinds of things if it's sure. uh, you know if it's of interest to your client. If they have no interest in tech, obviously it's not going to be relevant. Right. And then uh, again, when you're representing a seller. You know, you may want to recommend, hey, have it, having this here to give the impression that it's modern, like, you know, put the mesh system out front instead of hiding it, as some people do, which does impact the signal, by the way, because you want to give the impression that you're, you know, um, obviously you want to broaden the appeal of your home and you may want to showcase some tech that may otherwise be buried because it may be of interest if the surveys are correct uh, to young buyers. They want to see that out there. Sure.
0: And sort of we've talked about sort of the current state of technology and even how it you know, drills down into the real estate space and, and people that are looking to buy and sell a home. But you know, what do you see more broadly moving forward? What's the next big sort of trend we're going to be talking about maybe this time next year, for example?
2: So I think we're going to migrate from smart speakers to smart screens. So not only do you hear an answer. Uh, about the weather, to stick with that earlier example, but you're also going to see a seven-day forecast. So um, Google and Amazon uh, have a couple of these now. I think they're going to become more and more popular. They're, you know, usually about 150 bucks, so it's not very expensive. I, I do envision that we're going to, in almost every room, have uh, something like this. And then for new builds, uh, they're going to add the wiring, uh, you know, b- before you know, like to basically outfit every room with the uh, a microphone. You know, again, it's not for everyone. That may freak somebody out, but the idea is to, so we're gonna start seeing smart speakers evolve into several products that have built-in smart uh, devices, like a thermostat that has built-in Alexa, or even a shower faucet, believe it or not, uh, to um, smart displays. I think 5G is gonna change the game when it's fully realized. That may lead to the third generation of cord cutting. We've right. already cut our landline and we've cut our cable in many cases. We may cut our home, our home Wi-Fi. We may sure. not need to pay an ISP when you're getting faster speeds through your cellular carrier. Right. So that's going to be interesting over the next, maybe yeah. in a year from now, we'll be almost there. Yeah. I think smart displays um, are, and products that have smart speakers built in. And just again, just the... Um, you know, just the mainstreamization, if you will, of smart home tech, You're, you can now buy them at, uh, like at Home Depot and it's sure. not like you don't have to go to a tech store anymore to buy these off the shelf devices that can save you money. So a lot more automation, a lot more, uh, you know, we, people like smart homes for security and safety, convenience, as we talked about, and cost savings. So by doubling down on those three, we're going to just see a lot more cool stuff coming.
0: Yeah, and just thinking about you know the membership of the Toronto Real Estate Board, and, and obviously you know one of the big things you're doing is sort of going from client to client, house to house, and so that involves a lot of driving around. So so where do you see the the, the space evolving with regard to uh, you know smart vehicles, eventually autonomous vehicles? Yeah, we're still you?
2: a few years away. It's sure. a great question. Um, uh, right now we have uh, semi-autonomous technologies where it will gas and brake for you and keep you in your lane is kind of where we're at Uh, which is convenient uh, but obviously down the road pardon the pun uh, we will have fully autonomous or level 5 vehicles that will literally drive you from point A to point B but I still think we're maybe 10 years away from that. Right. There's also legislative hurdles and things like that. So yeah, I think as a real estate agent or broker who spends a lot of time on the road, that's certainly gonna make life easier because theoretically they're gonna be able to work in between destinations. Sure. You know, As a journalist, uh, I often take the subway instead of driving downtown from where I live in Thornhill because I wanna get uh, an article done on the way downtown yeah. and an article done on the way back up. And I could see the appeal of working on a tablet or a lightweight laptop. Uh, while your vehicle drives you, but I still think we're a few years away from that. And it won't be perfect either, but in theory it will be safer than human drivers, which human error accounts for 95 and percent of all car accidents, yeah. so if, uh, if, if we're willing to trust technology a little bit it's it's going to be better than that for sure yeah and i agree i mean it, you know just thinking about it, i used to take the
0: subway to and from work and and uh, you know i lost something when i started driving to work in the sense that you know whether it was reading the newspaper or reading a book or but you become less productive yeah and and you'll gain some of that back over the years as more and more people are driving especially living vehicles.
2: in toronto like the idea of a you know we some people i know commute up to two hours each way yeah i mean that quality of life I'm sorry like that's it, it's terrible if you don't have a choice and you just succumb to it but I mean that, that's time that you could be doing what you like right you know whether it's your own uh, downtime or you know whatever or productivity but it, it, that's a real waste and it's not great on the environment with all the idling at you know on the Don Valley and you know so if if Autonomous vehicles can help alleviate congestion as well as things like delivery drones. I'm all for it. I don't want to see any loss of jobs, Yeah. Um, you know, and it will create more jobs, too, by the way. But we may start seeing over time, you know, fewer truck drivers, actual human drivers sure. uh, and fewer couriers. Um, but we're still a, a few years away from that and
0: I guess that's been the other front too is not only the autonomous vehicle but the autonomous electric vehicle too right. and we're making
2: great adv- yeah. advances on the it's electric it's a great time front. to be alive man it's, yeah. it's pretty wild and yeah of course I love this stuff I'm a techie it's my job sure. but it's fascinating and it, it, it's evolving so rapidly I've been covering tech for 25 years professionally 23 years full time but it's amazing what I've seen just yeah. in a quarter century like, uh, and, and it's just accelerating too it's evolving so rapidly it's really wild uh, again, not for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, I welcome it. I welcome it with some safeguards in place. That's
0: right. Well, look at Mark. I really want to thank you for your pleasure. time today, and and we want to thank you for supporting our uh, our trade show over the years. Thank You've you, have always Jason. been a great speaker and a very popular one. Thank so you so
2: much. Appreciate it. Thank Likewise, you very much. Jason. Thank you so much for having me every year. This is great. You bet.
1: This episode highlights the good work of a Treb-supported charity via the Realtors Care Foundation. Horizons for Youth is a shelter for at-risk and homeless youth between the ages of 16 to 24. See how they are making a difference in the community at horizonsforyouth.org.
0: Today we have a topic that's very important to realtors, obviously, uh, realtor safety. And and, uh, my guest today is Carl Carter Jr. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you very much for having me. It's
0: great to see you. And and Carl is a realtor, uh, but also the founder of the the Beverly Carter Foundation, a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to improving um, agent safety. And uh, his mother, realtor Beverly Carter, lost her life at the hands of two individuals that posed as clients in 2014. And since her passing, Carl has made it his life's work to spread the message about the importance of realtor safety. So without. Much ado. Uh, let's uh, let's jump right in. And, and and Carl, thank you for taking the time for being with us today and in this this important uh, topic. But the message is critical. And and uh, in, in the case of your mother's story, uh, it certainly made headlines in the United States. But perhaps you can tell listeners, you know, what happened and, and got
3: you to, to to where you are today in terms of the Realtor Safety Campaign. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to do that. I'm very honored. Um, I've been a little surprised. I'm I I'm, uh, even more kind of uh I feel lucky to be here because as I've been speaking to people here at at the uh, the conference I'm surprised at how few people actually know who my mom was. So um so thank you for giving me this platform to to share her with everyone. Um, my mom was a seasoned broker. She had been in the business for about a dozen years and she loved 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 real estate. She was one of those people that just made it look easy. Uh it came very natural to her and um Almost five years ago, she was contacted by a husband and a wife, and their story was that they were relocating due to work. They right. were cash buyers, and um, they they requested to you know to to use my mom's services and to, to have her get them in a home. And they set an appointment, and you know it, there were a number of things. You know, both you know when you think about or so many of us, I think, when we think about what a bad guy looks like, we certainly don't associate this husband and wife, right. Bonnie and Clyde type of thing. Right. Um, but they requested to see this property with my mom. And I think that it's important, and it's, it's probably one of the biggest safety messages in my mom's story, is that you know, when she met them at the property that day to show that house, that was the first time that she had met them uh... my mom had no idea that on the other side of that transaction was a husband with you know seven felonies on his record um, and of course she had no idea that their their ultimate plan was to kidnap this rich broker you know that they perceived as rich because of you know marketing and you know things that we all do to promote our business and um, it. she had no idea that you know how things were going to transpire that day at that appointment and um, they. They kidnapped my, my sweet mom and uh, with the intention of holding her for ransom and when that kind of went sideways because she had done so many things right. right. Although they weren't enough to, to protect her um, from getting kidnapped, uh, it really kind of made their whole plan go sideways and so um, we saw them, you know, just kind of abort that whole plan and just make the, just horrible rash decision to end my mom's life. And. Uh, you know, it's just been the aftermath of that has just been crazy. I can't even believe I'm sitting here telling you about it now, even after all these years.
0: Right. I mean, it's a horrible sort of story, and certainly it, my, my condolences. Uh, um, and, but but as you've moved forward from 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 that event, and certainly starting the, the the Beverly Carter Foundation, I mean, you've made it your life's work to uh, to, to to work towards a safer environment. Um, for realtors, and certainly uh, uh, realtors like members of, uh, of Trev and that's one of the reasons why you are here at RealtorQuest today is, is, is to talk about ways in which a, uh, a, a realtor can make it safer for themselves, and certainly safer for you know the industry. I'd argue um, in, in general. So maybe talk about that a little bit. I mean, certainly many of our members will benefit from your talk here today. Um, but you know, we, we're, we're fifty thousand strong at the Toronto Real Estate Board, and so we certainly uh, it would be great to get, uh, um, you know, at least the broad strokes from you now.
3: Um, you know, something that I think is, is really important is that, you know, this, this nonprofit, although it's named after my mom, it really, uh, it serves everyone. And, and it represents so many agents that are out there that have been victimized. And I've been surprised just being here on, on the trade show floor. Um, I've already heard three stories this morning of uh of agents um, that that have been victimized in some way, and so, you know, although you know, most of what I do and what I'll be talking about today kind of centers around the lessons that we learned from my mother's story. What I find is that at the conclusion of sessions, just like today, agents will tell me the ways that they were victimized, and and yes, you know, while we see trends of um, assault and sexual assault and theft. Um, there there are these, these crazy stories, like even what happened with my mom, you know, kidnapping with the intention to hold for ransom. Um, there are just always ways that we can kind of do a little better job, train a little bit better, reach people uh, differently. Um, you know, if there are overarching themes that I really hope that everyone kind of walks away with uh, today is to um, recommit to standard practices to know who they're working with and as best they can uh, determine through uh, interviewing those clients um, you know that the the motives and the intentions of those um, I'm also big you know in in my local market in building relationships with affiliates and so I I, I do not um, wherever possible conduct my business alone whether that's an open house or even showings so
0: and, and I, I guess what are some of the, you know, if, if, if people are looking for, you know, some concrete suggestions on what we could do, you know, starting today or starting tomorrow to, to, to better protect themselves as they, um, you know, work on a day-to-day basis as a, as a practicing realtor, I mean, what, what what could they do, I guess, singularly, but also, like, like what can we do as a profession, I guess, to, uh, to better protect ourselves?
3: You know, overall, I... You know, we are you know as in the business of sales, and uh, we do want to serve uh, those that need us. But as an industry, I think. We, we really can do a better job of not being, you know, you hear people talk about Pop-Tart agents. You know, the phone rings and we throw all caution to the wind for, the you know, this this prospect of um, making a commission. And I, I really think that, um, that we can all do a better job in just hitting that pause button. Um, and then to get a little bit more specific than that, you know, what what was beneficial for me in my business and then building out these educational materials for the nonprofit is actually instead of just kind of feeling overwhelmed by while wow, safety's a big topic there's a lot of opportunity here for me to tighten up is to just think about my business and times in my business that I felt particularly vulnerable and um, and so for me personally, I've felt most vulnerable when I'm at an open house in a rural area. So what I started doing is that I would just identify those moments. Okay, then how can I make that safer? And so that's what we've done with the nonprofit is that we've built out, based on these different tasks that we do every day, uh, ways that we can incorporate safety time management, time savings, uh, methods to, uh, to hopefully appeal to people and make their business run a little better too. So,
0: and, and, and so sort of moving beyond, you know, just uh, the, the specific topic of realtor safety and, and thinking think you got to your foundation the Beverly Carter Foundation, tell us a little bit more about it, 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 its initiatives, um, you know, over time and, and what you plan on moving forward
3: as well. <clears throat> so it is, um, you know, I guess, uh, kind of naively, like I just—you um, think that, you know, building a nonprofit and this labor of love would be kind of—it would happen effortlessly and be all smooth sailing. But you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's building. It's like any, building any business from the ground up. Um, I'll say, you know when you ask a a room full of agents, you know, what's, what's, you know, the most challenging things about being an agent, you know, so often, at least within those top two or three, you're going to hear that some of the challenges are other agents, (laughs) but, um, you know, to counter that, um, it's also such an amazing group of, of people. And when we need to rally together, whether that's, you know, you know, helping people that have been, you know, um, Victimized, or, you know, have been affected by natural disasters or whatever it may be, uh, we we all rally together. And so we've truly felt that support. Um, What we do with a nonprofit is we give victims like myself uh, a platform to share their story in a safe way that isn't exploitative. They control their own narrative. There are a lot of people that have stories they don't know how to share them um, they do have that fear of being exploited, um, and so it's a safe place for that. We found with this nonprofit, and you know, we hear so so much about the the power of storytelling with us, you know, building our brands. But it's also maybe even more important with this nonprofit. Uh, stories, uh, I believe, uh, change lives, and for what we're doing, I think stories change and right. save lives so um, it's it's not just my mother's story so we we have this platform of, of giving victims you know the ability to, to share and also you know it's it's important to me because it's my mom's name on it that we're not going out and scaring the heck out of people that we're not you know, I'm not standing on a stage and making everyone want to get out of the business because that doesn't honor my mom and it doesn't help anyone right. um, but um, it's really important that we come from a place of love and I know that sounds a little hokey but I truly mean it because uh, I think people trust us and they know that we just simply do not want what happened to my mom to happen again Um, but from the the actual day to day we have a, a A pretty extensive uh, library of videos that that we make available um, free Um, we have a lot of tip sheets and what we're trying to do is to get everything built in a way that that they're super um, scalable and um, and then also you know easy to kind of pull off the shelf so that if it's a if it's a brokerage and they want to just you know play a one-minute video on safety in their sales meeting uh, they can do that without it being a big production Um, you know, the, the problem with safety is that it's not, you know, it's not a sexy topic. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's hard whenever, you know, I hear it universally from brokerages everywhere that, you know, if we have a safety class, it's really hard to get people to come. And it's because, it's because you know, it safety just makes us feel ick. And it's a harsh reminder of the, what can happen and what can go wrong. Um, but... Um, but when we can do it in just little bite-sized ways, A, it keeps it relevant, keeps it top of mind. And um, I hope that we're telling it uh, and educating in a way that inspires change and not trying to scare the hell out of people. Right. So,
0: And it is. It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a less comfortable topic. It is. Certainly, you know, talking about what's going on in the housing market or talking about new technology or, or, or what have you. But I think your approach is one where it, it provides sort of a, a focal point where people can get the information that, they, that they're looking for or... or get questions answered but at the same time I think it, it also provides them I mean, it sounds like to me at least sort of a a, a, w- a way in which people will be more comfortable in talking to their peers about realtor safety uh, and, and that as well and how have you seen like as you've been doing this this great work over the last few years how, how do you feel that's affected realtor safety I guess particularly in, in your market south of the border in the United States I mean, do you feel there's been an, an improvement over the last few years in terms of people's awareness and the general Safety,
3: or I'm cautiously optimistic. I should I, I should say, um, I I can't say enough about how how much I've seen the National Association of Realtors and even certain large associations and boards um, implement programs that were not there, you know, prior to to what happened to my mom. Um, I think that we have a long way to go. Um, you know, we. I, if there are two words that drive me crazy from the safety discussion is is whenever people throw back at me, independent contractor. And it's almost like a, a cop-out of sorts, just like, you know what, they're an independent contractor, their safety is their own. And I'm like, well, okay, I hear you. But also, um, we have such a tremendous opportunity to help people. and. And I guarantee you what will happen this afternoon is that, you know, I'll have this amazing opportunity to speak. And what will happen is that an agent or two or five agents will come up and say, wow, I never thought about how our industry can be dangerous. Um, so it, it kind of kind of validates that what we're doing is meaningful, that there are conversations that need to be had, and um, that we still have some work to do. So. Are there, are there, would
0: you say? I mean, we're, we're kind of a an industry of umbrellas, if you will. If you have a, a brokerage that sort of you know overarches you know a number of of, uh, of realtors who are who are working on a day to day basis, and they in turn are members of an organization, maybe a regional organization, and then you know broader national associations, what have you. And it's a similar construct in. In Canada, do you think that there's some best practices, like not only from an individual realtor perspective, and thinking more about their safety, but some best practices um, in, at, at sort of a brokerage or association level that could be sort of brought online to sort of better promote it to the industry at large?
3: You know, something that that I have been, really been working on the last few months is that, and I and I I fully believe in it. Is and it's giving agents a stake in agent safety to where it's it doesn't instead of it kind of starting you know up here at this at the top umbrella and and kind of trickling its way down kind of giving agents a voice and a stake in it and what i mean by that is um i've i've talked to and actually helped to implement safety committees at the brokerage level and even a small brokerage that has like 20 agents sure. And so they put together this committee and then they start having conversations about safety that it's not all its not all the high level stuff. It's not the meet every client and get their ID. And you know, it's not, it's not, it gets a lot more granular quickly within your brokerage. What would you do if someone were to come in with a, you know, with a firearm? Or what would you do if something were to happen? You know, if there were a fire or whatever. And so people start having these conversations that they've never had before. They have a stake in safety. And uh, it's not being barked to them like you know, like a teacher. Uh, anyway, and then seeing that grow, and then you have safety committees at every level. Um, you've really seen some powerful change come from that, and I, I'd love to see that. Um, and I hope that the, our nonprofit can be a little bit more instrumental in helping roll that out, um, because it's a really a game changer, I think.
0: Right. And, and- so we talked a lot about certainly what your what your organization is doing for you know realtors and, and the industry, but I guess the other way around, sort of the flip side of the coin, is, is, is how can realtors get involved with the Beverly Carter Foundation, and how does that work in terms of you know people getting involved and taking an active role there and, and, and promoting realtor safety and whatnot. Yeah,
3: so we love, love, love anyone that wants to get involved. If you have a heart for this and for safety, uh, there. are a hundred different ways that you can help um, from you know just building helping us build social media posts and quick tips and um, you know if, if graphic design or sharing safety tips or um, doing videos or, or s- traveling and speaking um, they're just there there are lots of ways that um, that agents can can kind of engage with us and you um, you know help spread the message in whatever your skill set is because we have people like all all over the place with that um, all over North America it's been incredible um, but to get involved we do have a website right. and so it's beverlycarterfoundation.org and uh, my email address is carl at and I welcome anyone to yeah reach out to me let's collaborate um, it's it's exciting work.
0: I think it, you know, I- excellent work that your organization thank has you. been doing and, and certainly you know i've heard certainly from you know, our ceo john d e. michelle who's seen you speak in the in the united states and, and was excited to have you come up to uh, our event over the over the next couple of days and i'm sure uh your members will benefit greatly and uh, i'm sure you'll find that many of them uh, you know want to help and uh, in your in your organization
3: as i hope so. Before.
0: so i want to thank you very yeah. much for thank you the time to absolutely I, what an honor uh, I'm sure you'll have a packed house later on this afternoon, so thank you very much. Oh,
3: great. Thank you.
0: Thank you to everyone also who tuned into this episode, and and thank you again to to Carl for taking the time to share his mother's story and his story and how his organization is going to continue to to grow moving forward. Don't forget to follow us on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play to to get notified of uh, future episodes. Again, thank you very much. Thank you.